the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider and to the special I've prepared this weekend that I call The Vatican's Room with a Heavenly View. In fact, it's all about the Vatican Observatory, also known as the Specola. I'd like to start this story with a tribute to Father George Coyne, who directed the Vatican Observatory from 1978 to 2006. He died in February this year at the age of 87. Father Coyne was named director of the observatory at the age of 45. Something I learned from his bio on the observatory webpage was that he was one of a few appointments made during the very brief papacy, less than a month, of John Paul I. Father Coyne served until he was 73, the longest term of any observatory director. During his tenure as director, Father Coyne oversaw the modernization of the observatory's role in the world of science welcoming onto its staff a number of young Jesuit astronomers from around the world, including Africa, Asia, and South America. Under his leadership, the Vatican Observatory Research Group was established at the University of Arizona, and in collaboration with the university, he made possible the construction of the VATT, Vatican Advanced Technology Telescope, with the world's first spin-cast mirror on Mount Graham in Arizona. Father Coyne was succeeded in 2006 by Father Jose Funes, and in 2015, Brother Guy was named Directory of the Observatory. I've known Brother Guy for a number of years and have interviewed him on several occasions for Vatican Insider. We're trying to coordinate our schedule so I can visit the new location of the Specola offices, classrooms, and museum on the Casta Gandolfo property. The Vatican telescopes, however, remain at the original Papal Palace. Now, a bit of history about the Vatican Observatory. When popes spent the summer period at the Apostolic Palace at Castel Gandolfo, one of the many hill towns or Castelli Romani southeast of Rome, they enjoyed cooler air, a slower pace of life, and a view of lovely and placid Lake Albano that fills an old volcanic crater, as well as the beautiful sprawling hills that surround it. The palace at Castel Gandolfo also offers popes another more spectacular view, should they so wish, a view of the universe through the telescopes of the twin observatory towers atop the pontifical residence. The specula, as the Vatican Observatory is also called, is not only one of the most highly respected observatories in the world, but is actually one of the oldest astronomical institutes dating back to 1582, when Pope Gregory XIII formed a committee to look at the scientific data and ramifications involved in a reform of the calendar. One of the committee members, Father Christoph Clavius, a Jesuit mathematician from the Roman College, wrote books favoring this reform and, with some of his brother Jesuits interested in astronomy, confirmed studies done by Galileo. Astronomy for centuries was considered the queen of sciences. As Father Clavius wrote in 1570, astronomy uses geometrical and arithmetic demonstrations which, in agreement with the opinion of all philosophers, arrives at the first degree of certitude. Astronomy thus became a subject of great interest to the papacy, and in ensuing centuries, Roman pontiffs founded three observatories, that of the Roman College, 
the Observatory of Capitoline Hill, and the Specola Vaticana in the Tower of the Winds in the Vatican. Telescopes in the Vatican occupied different locations over the years. In 1935, the Specola was moved to Castel Gandolfo because the light emanating from the city of Rome was too strong to allow for accurate observation and research from within the city. For the same reasons, a new telescope was built in Arizona in 1993. The Vatican's state-of-the-art VATT, Vatican Advanced Technology Telescope, is located on Emerald Peak at an altitude of 3,200 meters in the Mount Graham mountain chain. This is northeast of Tucson, Arizona. The telescope became operative in 1993 when the Vatican, in collaboration with Stewart Observatory at the University of Tucson in Arizona, used new technology in making the telescope mirror, thus entering the era of the advanced technology telescopes. The telescope was made by using a rotating furnace which shortened the construction time and offered a mirror that was lighter in weight than its predecessors. This method of making mirrors has been used with great success ever since. Pope Pius XI, in a speech on September 29, 1935, at the new observatory in Castel Gandolfo, gave it a motto, Deum Creatorum Venite Adoremus, Come, let us adore God the Creator. He said he rejoiced in being present at the, quote, inauguration of this new and, might we say, improved Vatican specula in this our residence at Castel Gandolfo. He also said it's quite well known that the Supreme Roman Pontiffs have for many centuries needed astronomy and have called on it to help in the placement of holy temples and especially in the calculation of the date of Easter. Pope Leo XIII is actually credited with refounding the Vatican specula over four decades earlier. In July 1890, he approved the directives for the specula Vaticana and on March 14, 1891, promulgated the motu proprio ut mysticam as a mystery, writing that he wished to refute those who charged the Church with being obscurantist and closed to scientific progress. Leo XIII said he intended to reinstitute the specula so that everyone might clearly see that the church and her pastors are not opposed to true and solid science, whether divine or human, but that they embrace it, encourage it, and promote it with the fullest possible dedication. And we desire, said the pontiff, that the specula be considered at the same level as the other pontifical institutes founded to promote the sciences. Successive Roman pontiffs have always supported the Vatican Observatory and its directors, who have always been priest-scientists and for over a hundred years Jesuits. In fact, given the importance of their work, 35 lunar craters bear the names of Jesuit astronomers. The current director, as I said earlier, is American brother Guy Consolmagno, a native of Detroit who spends part of each year at the Casa Gandolfo headquarters, part of the year teaching astrophysics and doing research in Tucson, and sometime each year traveling and lecturing. He was named to this post by Pope Francis in 2015. Popes, and in a special way John Paul II, have not only supported the specula, but have written and spoken extensively on the science-faith dialogue. In an October 31, 1992 address to the Pontifical Academy of Sciences, Pope John Paul called the case of Galileo Galilei, condemned in the 17th century for his heliocentric theory, a case of tragic mutual incomprehension which now belongs to the past. 
The Pope was addressing the Academy on a report given by Cardinal Paul Poupard on the results of 11 years of work by a special commission established by John Paul in July 1981 to study and definitively resolve the Galileo case. The year 1992 marked the 350th anniversary of Galileo's death. Saying the Galileo case was shelved, John Paul added, The underlying problems of this case concerned both the nature of science and the message of faith. In Galileo's time, he declared, the majority of theologians did not recognize the distinction between sacred scripture and its interpretation, and this led them to transpose into the realm of the doctrine of the faith a question which, in fact, pertained to scientific investigation. Though the main body of astronomical observations and research is done today in Arizona, the Apostolic Palace at Costa Gondolfo remains the headquarters of the Vatican Observatory. Before it moved to a new site in the Papal Gardens in 2009, the observatory staff worked out at the top floors of the Apostolic Palace, right above the private rooms of the Papal residence. In 2003, the final days of the 2003 Astronomy Summer School sessions in the Apostolic Palace coincided with the first days of Pope John Paul's vacation at Castel Gandolfo. Never had such a group been at the Papal residence while the Holy Father was also there, and the 26 students in attendance expressed awe at the thought of studying in the Pope's home. Father Coyne, the then director of the Specula, called this a first. In 2009, the Specula moved from the summer papal residence to new headquarters in the papal gardens at Castelcandolfo. Among precious objects in the museum is a valuable mineral collection that includes pieces going back four and a half billion years. A piece of moon rock brought back to the earth in 1972 by the Apollo 17 mission and fragments of meteorites from Mars. Though the interior is completely new, the building itself dates back to 1631, the same year that Princess Caterina Savelli of Albano built a convent for the Clarice sisters, now known as the Poor Clares, on this site. During the Napoleonic Wars, sometime between 1791 and 1810, this building was sacked by French troops. With the unification of Italy in 1870, the convent was closed and the sisters moved into the palace in Castel Gandolfo along with a community of Basilian nuns who had been exiled from the part of Poland then controlled by Russia. In 1929, with the signing of the Lateran Treaty, the two groups of sisters were able to move back into their old quarters, now incorporated within the gardens. The building again was subject to the ravages of warfare in 1944. Following the invasion of Anzio by the Allies and their slow march up the coast to Rome, the building was hit twice, on February 1st and February 10th, 1944. After the war, Pope Pius XII approved the reconstruction of the convent. The building was also damaged during an earthquake in 1989. Repairs and restructuring of the building were completed in 1998. In 2007, work began to completely restructure the end of the building that belonged to the Basilian sisters who had left the premises to match the needs of the astronomers. After two years of extensive work, the new Specula headquarters was dedicated by Pope Benedict XVI on September 16, 2009. The Clarice sisters continue their prayer and work in the northwestern end of the building. Now, as I mentioned earlier, of course, Brother Guy Consolmagno is the director of the Vatican Observatory. 
He is from Detroit. He earned undergraduate and master's degrees from MIT and a PhD in planetary science from the University of Arizona. He was also a postdoctoral research fellow at Harvard and MIT, served in the U.S. Peace Corps in Kenya, and taught university physics at Lafayette College before entering the Jesuits in 1989. Along with more than 200 scientific publications, he's the author of a number of popular books, including Turn Left at Orion and Would You Baptize an Extraterrestrial? He also has hosted science programs for BBC, Radio 4, has been interviewed in numerous television documentary films, and for more than 10 years wrote a monthly science column for the British Catholic magazine, The Tablet. When I was a youth minister with a young family, I took on a side job as a recruiter to make ends meet. I was hired by Ken Hensley. He'd been a Baptist pastor, but felt like God was calling him to become Catholic, so he lost everything, rebuilding his livelihood recruiting. I tried for six months, and I failed at that job. Twenty years later, a friend of mine with means reached out to me wanting to start a ministry supporting pastors who were becoming Catholic, and I knew just the guy. That launched Ken into full-time work for the church, not only supporting Catholic converts, but preaching internationally. Now he's living his dream. So what's the point of my story? Well, it would have been easy for me at that time in my life as a recruiter to think that that was a sidetrack from God's plan and a waste of my time. But if I hadn't been there doing that, Ken wouldn't be making the impact he is today. See, sometimes when you don't feel like you're living out your purpose, maybe that time in your life's not about you, but maybe you're exactly where God wants you the most. This is Chris Stefanik from reallifecatholic.com. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome to the interview segment of Vatican Insider. Today I'd like to bring you around Rome for brief visits to a number of other churches in Rome. All of the churches I'm about to list are noted for their place in history, their architectural beauty, and as repositories of some of the greatest works of art man has ever known. Many are shrines in their own right as they house the bodies or relics of numerous pontiffs and saints. We'll start our journey on Corso Vittorio Emanuele. To get there, you can cross one of three bridges or ponte, the Bridge of the Angels that starts at Casa San Angelo, Vittorio Manuele, or Ponte Amadeo di Savoia. Roman Emperor Hadrian, who built Castel Sant'Angelo as a mausoleum for himself and his family, also built the Hadrian's Bridge. This faces straight on to the mausoleum. Now, the bridge was completed in 134 to span the Tiber from the city center to the newly built mausoleum. It's now solely pedestrian and provides a stunning vista of Castel Sant'Angelo. It's renowned for the Baroque additions of ten statues of angels designed by Bernini, each one holding elements of the Passion of Christ. Once you are on Corso Vittorio Emanuele II and heading towards Piazza Venezia, on your left is Santa Maria della Navicella, also known as the Chiesa Nuova. It's the principal church of the Oratorians, a religious congregation of secular priests founded by St. Philip Neri in 1561. Built in the late 16th century, it houses the body of St. Philip in a chapel to the left of the main altar. Above the main altar are three paintings by Rubens. Continuing along the Corso, on your right you will come to the church of Sant'Andrea della Valle, St. Andrew of the Valley. 
begun late in the 16th century, whose facade is by Moderno, and whose dome is the second largest in Rome after St. Peter's. If its interior seems familiar to you, this church was chosen by Giacomo Puccini as the scene for the first act of his opera, Tosca. It was initially planned when Lady Costanza Piccolomini of Aragona, the Duchess of Amalfi, and descendant of the family of Pope Pius XII, bequeathed her palace and the adjacent church of San Sebastiano in central Rome to the Theatine Order for construction of a new church. Since Amalfi's patron was St. Andrew, the church was planned in his honor. Exiting St. Andrews, proceed straight ahead to Corso Rinascimento. Halfway up, turn left into the elegant Piazza Navona, often called Rome's living room, where you will find the church of Sant'Agnese, St. Agnes, one of Bernini's wonderful works. The church was consecrated on January 17, 1672, and is dedicated to Agnes, a young Roman girl who was martyred at the age of 13. In the center of this extraordinary piazza is the most famous of the three fountains that decorate the square, Bernini's Fountain of the Four Rivers, the Nile, Ganges, Rio de la Plata, and Danube. Piazza Navona was built over the elliptical-shaped stadium of the Emperor Domitian, which could hold up to 30,000 spectators. Behind the Church of St. Agnes is Santa Maria dell'Anima, the German national church in Rome, with a 16th-century facade by San Gallo and windows by Bramante. Attached to it is a cloister built by Bramante in 1504. It was the national church of the Holy Roman Empire in Rome, and today is the national church of German-speaking Catholics in Rome. It is the resting place of the Dutch Pope, Adrian VI. Nearby is the church of Santa Maria della Pace, St. Mary's of Peace, a jewel of a church built in 1480 with paintings by Raphael and Caravaggio. Returning to Piazza Navona, go to the eastern end, to your right as you look at the church of St. Agnes. Exit here, turn right, cross the street, and walk under the archway linking two buildings. On your left is the church of Sant'Agostino, St. Augustine, built over the previous church on that site, commissioned in 1350 by Cardinal Guillaume d'Estoutville. Raphael's Isaiah can be found in the third pillar on the left of the nave. In the chapel by the exit is another Caravaggio masterpiece, the Madonna of the Pilgrims, painted in 1609. Continuing our tour of a handful of Rome's almost 500 churches, we stay in the vicinity of Piazza Navona to visit the church of San Luigi dei Francesi, St. Louis of the French, the French National Church, begun in 1618. The most notable feature of this church is its facade, designed by Giacomo della Porta. Only a short walk from Navona, we find the Pantheon in the piazza of the same name. This imposing edifice was built by Emperor Marco Agrippa in 27 AD as a temple to the gods, Pantheon, of course, comes from the Greek, and it means many gods. Now, a Catholic church where Raphael, as well as the former kings and queens of Italy, are buried, it is noteworthy for its dome, whose diameter, 43.3 meters, is the same as the highest point from the floor. The dome has a single circular opening at the apex. And by the way, Michelangelo modeled his dome at St. Peter's on this one. Now, just a few feet away from the Pantheon is the Church of Santa Maria Sopra Minerva, St. Mary over Minerva. Now, this was built over a temple to Minerva. Located on the Via del Beato Angelico at Piazza Minerva, it is the only Gothic-style church in Rome. 
It is renowned for Fra Filippo Lippi's masterpiece, St. Thomas presenting Cardinal Carafa to the Blessed Virgin. This is located over the altar in the main chapel of the transept. The remains of St. Catherine of Siena, who was influential in bringing the papacy back to Rome after its years of exile in Avignon, that is, 1309 to 1377, her remains rest below the main altar. To the left of this altar is a work by Michelangelo, Christ Carrying His Cross. In a chapel on the left, beneath a perpetually burning light, are the remains of Fra Giovanni da Fiesoli, better known as Fra Angelico. Often called the greatest sacred painter of Christianity, Fra Angelico died in 1459. In front of the church, and almost equally as famous, is the marble elephant sculpted by Bernini in 1667 at the base of a small obelisk. As you exit this church, take the street to your left via De Cestari, which will bring you to Largo, Argentina, and back to Corso Vittorio Emanuele. A two-minute walk up the Corso brings you to the Church of Jesu, Jesus, the main church of the Jesuits in Rome, and a lavish example of what has come to be called the Jesuit style. One of its most precious works of art is a cenotaph. Now, a cenotaph is a monument dedicated to a person who is buried elsewhere. So this is a cenotaph to St. Robert Bellarmine, featuring a bust of the saint by Bernini. Proceeding up Corso Vittorio Emanuele, we arrive at Piazza Venezia. Turn right, walk to the corner, and on your right is the delightful and beautiful church of San Marco, St. Mark, founded in 336 by Pope St. Mark in honor of the evangelist who's buried in St. Mark's Church in Venice. It features the tombstone of Vanozza de Catani, the mother of Lucrezia, Cesare, Geoffrey, and Giovanni Borgia. Remaining in the center of Rome, we now go to Sant'Ignazio, St. Ignatius, another Jesuit church. A five-minute walk from Piazza Venezia just off Via del Corso at Via Caravita brings us to Piazza San Ignazio. Construction of the church with its sumptuous Baroque facade began in 1626, four years after the canonization of St. Ignatius Loyola, founder in 1534 of the Society of Jesus, better known as the Jesuits. A lapis lazuli urn under the elegant altar of the right transept contains the remains of St. Aloysius Gonzaga, an Italian Jesuit and patron of youth. Now, let's return to Via del Corso and proceed north to Piazza del Popolo, where we will visit Santa Maria del Popolo, St. Mary of the People. This is one of two churches on either side of Via del Corso as it ends in this lovely 19th century square. The 15th century church is celebrated for two masterpieces by Caravaggio, the conversion of St. Paul and the crucifixion of St. Peter. The first chapel on the right, dedicated to the Della Rovere family, was frescoed by Pintoricchio, and the Chigi Chapel on the left aisle features a rare architectural work by Raphael. Above the main altar is a painting of the Madonna attributed to St. Luke. Now reversing our direction, we'll take Via del Corso and return to Piazza Venezia, where we now walk up the Fori Imperiale, past the Roman Forum and Colosseum, to the Opian Hill on our left. And here we find San Pietro in Vincoli, St. Peter's in Chains. This was rebuilt over an early church by the priest Philip upon his return from the Council of Ephesus in 431. The church is renowned for the relics of the chains that bound St. Peter when he was imprisoned in Rome and for one of Michelangelo's most memorable sculptures, Moses.
Next on our journey is the Basilica of San Clemente, St. Clement, just minutes away from St. John Lateran and definitely worth a detour if you are in the area. One of the best preserved medieval basilicas in Rome, it rests over a 4th century church that was destroyed in 1084. Entering from Via San Giovanni, we find a chapel with frescoes that occupy an important place in church art. At the center of the nave is the marvelous Scola Cantorum of the earlier basilica, a wonderful cosmotesque floor and two exceptional ambones. You will remember the ambones, the two pulpits for the epistle and the gospel that we saw in St. Lawrence outside the walls. From the sacristy, one descends into the lower basilica, noted for its wonderful frescoes of the 11th and 12th centuries, and several from the second half of the 9th century. Still below this are the underlying Roman constructions from the imperial period. Now we visit another neighborhood of Rome. East of the center on the Via Nomentana, we find the Basilica of Sant'Agnese, St. Agnes, another church by that name in Rome. It's also called St. Agnes Outside the Walls, and this was erected in 342 by Constantine's daughter, Constantia, in memory of the young martyr who died defending her chastity and her faith. The relics of St. Agnes and those of St. Emerentiana lie in a beautiful silver reliquary. The basilica complex includes the mausoleum of St. Constantia, built by Constantine as a funeral monument for his daughters, and the catacombs of St. Agnes. There's a particularly wonderful story linked to this church. Every year, on the January 21st feast of St. Agnes, several baby lambs raised by the Trappist monks of St. Agnes are brought to the papal apartments where the Pope blesses them. When their wool is shorn, it is woven by nuns into the palliums that the Holy Father confers on Metropolitan Archbishops on the June 29th Feast of Saints Peter and Paul Apostles. This is a ceremony that takes place at St. Peter's Basilica. Once the palliums are made, they are stored in a coffer in the niche of the palliums, right below the main altar of St. Peter's, in the area we now call the Confessio. They are removed from the niche the eve of the ceremony. Palliums denote the authority of the Archbishop Metropolitans and their link to the Pope, the successor of Peter. Now let's go back to the center of Rome, to the Church of Santa Maria degli Angeli, St. Mary of the Angels. This is on Piazza della Repubblica, not far from the Termini rail station. Once the baths of the Emperor Diocletian, of which there are some remains, very, very impressive remains, nearby, this was transformed into the grandiose church it is today by Michelangelo. It has a colossal transept and is decorated by eight monolithic red granite columns from the original baths. I know I've given you a lot of names, but you can re-listen to this on the podcast, and you'll surely make your own discoveries as you walk along the streets and piazzas of ancient Rome. So, hope you enjoyed this visit. For more information on these stories, or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.